Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic. I'm one of your co-hosts today, Pamela Bentley. And I'm your other co-host, uh, R.C. Weslowski. And we're really happy to have, uh, yet again, uh, they were our guests last year around this time, the East Van Poetry Salon, which is headed by Julie Peters and Chris Gilpin. So welcome both of you to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be back. We can maybe quickly say what the East Van Poetry Salon is, and uh, also the reason we're having you on is because you've once again collected the 10 best poems uh, of the year, and the year would be 2015 in this case, and so it's really exciting that the 10 best poems of the year were chosen, and uh, you two have done it, Um, so it's great, and maybe you can uh, elaborate a little bit on what that project is and uh, how you came about with it. Well, Chris and I are um, the founders of the East Van Poetry Salon, and basically what we do is try to create opportunities to get people thinking and talking about poetry and reading poetry in a, sort of a larger, um, more div- diverse form than, you know, just going to the Poetry Slam, for example, or just reading poetry on the page. We like to get people together to, to experience poetry in different kinds of ways and think a little bit more critically about it. Um, so we have events sometimes, we have uh, poetry readings, and uh, once a year we like to find the 10 best poems and make a list of them and talk about them on this show. Fortunately, there's no controversy about this list. <laughs> we asked the internet and it said, yes, these are definitively the top 10 poems. There's no disagreement whatsoever. The magic eight ball so, of the internet. Yeah. Um, it's good to know. I, I can honestly say that this there is absolutely no controversy or disagreement. I we really are, we like, are 100% the authorities on this. So. <laughs> I really like what you guys say about. And, you know, this is really just what we like. And uh, you guys can make your own list. Yeah, we'd love to see more lists. That would be great. So you did post this a couple of weeks ago. I'm curious uh, what kind of reaction you have got. I know last year there was uh, quite a good reaction online and all that sort of stuff from it. So, uh, But I haven't heard anything really about this year. Oh, we got the same kind of reaction this year. Uh, It's kind of that great opportunity for, you know, us as people who are kind of in our East Van poetry silo to kind of get out there and get in touch with a lot of different poetry communities. It's really cool to, you know, get... You know, tweets and notes from Don Cher, you know, editor of Poetry Magazine in Chicago, and all these different people from around the world get into the list, and we tell the poets, the poets are from all over the place who are on the list, and they get out on their network, so it kind of joins uh, Vancouver Poetry House and East Van Poetry Salon to the rest of the world, and that's kind of a really good thing, and, you know, obviously the, the list really is just uh, the poems that Julie and I find interesting this year, and, uh, it, you know, we use the 10 best trope 
that's all over the internet because the internet likes tropes. Mm-hmm. The internet likes 10 best lists. And we just want to find a way to kind of use it as the Trojan horse to force our completely subjective opinions <laughs> upon the rest of the world. <laughs> and we get the sense that people wouldn't necessarily be looking through the um, poetry journals, even the online ones, the way that we did to to find some of these poems. So we feel like the, the 10 best is also just a really nice way to get poetry into the hands of people who might not normally be reading it. Yeah, I mean, like you had, like, uh, you were asking about reactions. Uh, Amber Dawn sent us, uh, you know, a a tweet right away that said, oh, I just discovered my nine new favorite poets, other than she's on the list. Uh, So, you know, it's kind of a way in which I I do feel like, you know, we're we're letting these poets almost know about each other, and they get excited about it. So it's pretty cool. Do you want to say who's on the list before we hear one of them? Sure. Do you want to do the countdown? Yeah, we okay, should have well, a sound effect. I mean, we'll just do, <laughs> make our own right sound now. effects. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's just one step behind you there, RC, as usual. Uh, so number 10 on the list is a poem called The House of Joyce Leslie by Monica McClure. And... <laughs> Oh, I don't have the list, so you're going to have to Oh, I have the list. I'll read them all. Great. Okay. Um, Number nine is a poem called The Interview Where I Was Asked If You Could Engage in Cunnilingus with Someone Living or Dead, Who Would It Be? Giving, Receiving, or Both by Amman. Great poem. And next is number eight. (laughs) This is... Uh, this, this is called Lana Del Rey Intervenes When She Notices I've Stopped Writing About My Ex by Megan Fowley. Number seven is a visual poem called It's Simple to Be Happy by Yudi Maharajan. I'm not sure how to pronounce that name, but I hope that's close. Number I, I six. Hope. <laughs> uh, this uh, is a suite of poems called Disloyal by Grace Shuyi Liu. Number five. Sirens by Sarah Howe. Number four. Infilogisms by Robert Priest. Number three. This is a translated poem that, uh, called The Moon by Carlos Pintado and translated by Hilary Von Doble. Number two. Like Totally Whatever by Melissa Lozada Oliva. We're going to hear that in a moment. And number one. The number one poem is called Poem to My Twitter Crush, published on Twitter by Jeremy Radin. Yeah, and uh, just so I guess we're clear, this isn't what we're talking about today is an article that's on VancouverPoetryHouse.com. So if you go to VancouverPoetryHouse.com, it'll, there'll be a big link that jumps up to you right away. You can read the article and you can read all of the poems that we're talking about, or if not read them, you can watch them as a video, uh, because there's links to all of the poetry in the article. That was one big part of the article, is we wanted all of the poetry to be immediately accessible by the reader. So and it's many not of in them a book have, you have to buy or anything like that. have audio as well, so you can listen to them and read them. Yeah. I like that some of them were just page poetries. I mean, mm-hmm. not just page poetries, but they don't all have audio. And that um, you've gone to some of my favorite sites for looking for poetry that I've never seen or heard before. So um, I had a bunch of comments about all, or questions about lots of things, but let's listen to one of them. Okay. Sure. Okay. So do you want to introduce this one? It's number nine on your list. This is Like Totally Whatever by Melissa. Well, this is number two then. Oh, number two. Sorry. Number, I was thinking of it in the opposite way. The one from the end. Because um, it goes uh, from ten nine eight down. It's a countdown, and um, it's a response to a poem by Taylor and Molly called "Lily Like Like, like Lily, Lily Like Wilson." Yeah, yeah, like Lily Like Wilson. Okay, here we go. Like totally whatever after Taylor Molly. In case you haven't realized, it has somehow become necessary for old white men to tell me how to speak. 
They like interrupt a conversation that isn't even theirs and are like, speak like you mean it. And like the internet is ruining the English language and they like put my parentheticals, my likes and ums and your nose on a wait list. Tell them no one will take them seriously in a frilly pink dress or that makeup. Tell them they have a confidence problem, that they should learn to speak up like the hyper-masculine words who are always the first to raise their hands. Invisible red pens and college degrees have been making their way into the middle of my sentences. I've been crossing things out every time I take a moment to think. Declarative sentences, so-called because they declared themselves to be the loudest, most truest, most taking up the most space, most totally white man sentences, have always told me that being angry has never helped like anybody, has only gotten in the way of helping them declare more shit about how they'll never be forgotten like ever. It's like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway were geniuses for turning women into question marks. It's like rapes It's like rapes happen all the time on campuses, but as soon as John Krakauer writes about it, suddenly it's like innovative nonfiction and not like something girls are like making up for like attention. And it's like maybe I'm always speaking in questions because I'm so used to being cut off. It's like maybe this is defense mechanism. Maybe everything girls do is evolution of defense mechanism. Like this is protection. Like our likes are our knee pads. Our ums are the knives we tuck into our boots at night. Our you knows are the best friends we call when we're walking down a dark alley. Like this is how we breathe easier. But I guess feelings never helped anybody. I guess like tears never made change. I guess like everything girls do is a waste of time. So welcome to the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. Watch as I stick flowers in your punctuation mark guns. Because you can't just challenge authority. You got to take it to the mall too. Teach it to do the bend and snap. Paint its nails. Braid its hair. Tell it it looks like really good today. And in that moment before you murder it with all of the poison in your like softness. You let it know that like this. Like this moment is like. Um, you know, me using my voice. So there we go. Tell us your thoughts about that, Pam. Oh, my gosh. We only have half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) We talk about this a lot with my uh, friends and and because I work in radio, right? So, um there's all this stuff about the NPS in uh, for NPR. There's a lot of podcasts by young women now. And there's the Focal Fry and the Uptalk. And there's all this stuff about it. And I have two minds about it. I don't really fall strictly on one side or the other. And I really like that original Taylor Malley poem. And I used to be a teacher. And she, I love that line where she says about the confidence problem. Because the, the irony, of course, is she has absolutely no confidence problem, right? She's saying everything she's saying completely clearly without the likes and ums, except for when she does it on purpose. And so I get what she's saying. I totally get that. And I get what when people say, oh, well, you're just trying to tell young women how to talk. But I also kind of agree that it's good to sound like you're confident. It's good to, you know, so I, I kind of get all of it. So that's a very short <laughs> version of all the things that I have to say about that poem. And yeah. So what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting poem, partly because it has to do with 
the the poem is is using its opportunity as a performance poem to mm-hmm. express uh, within this woman's voice, and I feel some of the same things about it. And I can see that the argument against upspeak and um, all of those other sort of vocal techniques as a way to just sort of another way to not listen to women exactly. and men do use those techniques as well. Sometimes it's not noticed in the same way. And yet I do find for myself that the more I try to remove jests and sorries from my own voice, the more powerful I feel and the more empowered I feel in that. Um, I mentioned this to a friend of mine and she said something like, yeah, I think sometimes I just want to ask my male colleagues to try to speak in a more polite and accessible way. <laughs> sort of made me laugh. Um, so, you know, we, we could all maybe work on thinking about the way that we're, we're presenting ourselves when we, when we are speaking, you know, in public or, or doing a performance poem and all of those things. And I think it's also, uh, worth noting that um, the Women of the World Poetry Slam um, is uh, coming up soon and the playoffs are tonight mm. at Café du Soleil and that's a, you know an event that celebrates women's voices partly because they're not heard in the same way all the time. That's right. And her line about maybe it's because I'm often cut off or mm. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to finish the sentence so I'm trying to make myself agreeable so that you will keep listening so that I can finish my thought. Mm-hmm. And that's where the likes and ums come in. And we use like as a qualifier. I don't want to say this exact thing. This may not be the exact word and so so that you won't argue with me I'm going to say it's like 100% mm-hmm. meaning it could be 98 or 105, right? Like it's, yeah there's a lot of really, really great stuff in that piece. And most importantly, I think, too, that uh, the message of the piece is also done in a way that perfectly suits the actual content of the piece. Exactly. Uh, so it's, I found it extremely refreshing to find a piece on button poetry that didn't sound like everything else, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a, a, you know, a, a performer who had chosen a performance style to match their script, their text, exactly. And it wasn't someone who was falling into any of the cliched... Uh, you know, the cliched rhythms of slam, which uh, I, I really enjoyed. It's and that, also the only performance poem that made it onto the list this true. year. Yeah, and that slam was part needs of your to take criteria, up game. Right? That was part of your criteria that whatever the poem you chose did well, did its medium well, its chosen medium well. We were very interested in that this year, yeah. especially. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what's next? Uh, sure. Um, well, uh, how about I read one and then we can listen to another one. Okay. Um, so... This one is by a poet named Robert Priest, and Robert Priest has been doing this technique, which he calls uh, meme splicing for a long time, which is where he basically swaps out a syllable of one word and puts in another syllable from, or another whole word. Uh, You'll get the idea very quickly here. So what he's done is he's taken it to, I think, to a whole new level in his newest effort, Um, and this is called infologisms now just to before i read the poem just to let you know that is like infologisms neologism is when you smash two words together and create a new word Hmm. um and what the word that's being used as the kind of interrupter in this poem is information so here it is infotons infodelity infodels infomazement infotopography the nymphomation, the skinfo, the fingerfo, the tonguefo, infogasm, infogiastic, infostructure, infomation, to have an info, infoamerican, infolution, infonexus, the infonex, infoing, she infoed me, infotility. <laughs> 
to infotilize the outfo, turning info into outfo, inflammation, infoternity, infotesimal. I want your information so bad. The nonformation to be info negative, info negated, info mo, to be info terrible. She is nursing an info, info mortality, the info Christ, info giveness, info charity, ninfo, nonfo. That's it. This classic Robert Priest. So why did you like that so much? Because listening to it, it's to me, it's a list of puns. And so what is intriguing about that poetically? Well, first of all, puns are the best. I love, no, I love <laughs> and, puns. And uh, I could listen to puns all day. But I, I think that what also, what I like about this is, uh, although some of the puns are for comedic effect, I think, in here, like there's plenty of them. You would say even infogasm. There's plenty of these that seem that they're done for comic effect. What he's also doing is he's punning for poignant effect. Like, yeah, I think that some of these, he's trying to come up with terms that, uh, you know, have some kind of new idea to them. What What is infodelity? I still, I think that one's great. Yeah. You know, like what's to ha- what's an info, does, does that mean you're on uh, whatever, Madison, that, that site, uh, Ashley Madison or whatever, that the cheating website? Maybe that's to have an infodelity. Or you only get your information from one site and you have a fidelity to that information. Oh yeah, sure. So, you know, like I just felt like every single one of these puns could have been an entire poem like they could have spawned an entire yeah. idea but he uh, did this incredible thing where he just compressed them down to individual words and you know a big part of poetry is always about how much you can say with how little in a lot of ways and i think he'd take he just tried to take that to a new extreme yeah yeah i think also just in terms of using the medium to create your message in part um I feel like this poem is is about language in the sense that language is something that we use all the time. It's part of our thoughts, part of our bodies. It's something that we're sort of floating on all the time. And especially now we're in like the info age, right? The internet age. And so we're so immersed in information that it's um, sort of... Uh, infiltrating infiltrating Infiltrating. (laughs) Um, you know the way that we think (laughs) and uh, the way that we communicate with each other and all of the things that he's he's punning on so I feel like he's just pulling the idea of information into all kinds of everyday things in part to point out that that it's something that's really overtaken our experience of the world yeah that's very true it's very true you're listening to co-op radio on co-op were you about to do the no, <laughs> uh, CFRO one hundred point five FM. And while we were reading, while Chris was reading that poem, um, somebody was trying to call in on the studio, and we can't answer when we're live on the air. Uh, so call back after the show's over, and or if you're trying to get the station, call six zero four six eight four eight four nine four. Our guests today are Chris Gilpin and Julie Peters from the East Van Poetry Salon. Uh, and we're going to take a listen to another piece in just a second, but uh, because you were talking about how part of your decision-making was around the poets using their particular medium as well for expressing their poetry. I'm curious about the Jeremy Raiden one because uh, it was done all on Twitter. I didn't see any of that, but maybe uh, talk about it. And, and is it then published elsewhere or is it just boom if you didn't see it you don't get to read it or how does that how does that work so the link that you can click on if you go into our uh, blog post uh, will take you to the tweet the poem published on twitter so the the tweets are all collected into one place and they stay there so if you go go back to that link the poem will be complete it's not something that you would have missed 
um, but it was tweeted out in that way. So at a certain point, each line was tweeted out one at a time, and some of them were retweeted, and these different things happened. But it is self-contained at that, that link. Yeah, he's used the, the this weird new form of the Twitter essay where you reply to your own tweet, and oh. that way it links them all together. So okay. they can all kind of stay together as a group. Uh, but what's fascinating, of course, is that after the poem ends, other people start replying. So the poem ends, and then all of a sudden it becomes the comment section, and there's no uh, no distinction between the two, almost. So the poem, where the poem ends and where the conversation begins really is kind of, well, you can figure it out, but it, it does all join together. And then as Julie points out when she was talking about it, too, it's also fascinating because each line has an inbuilt response just in the number of retweets and likes to it. So you can look through a poem and be like, oh, that's, I guess that's the line that everyone really loves about this poem because it's got like a million retweets or whatever it is. So it's just a fascinating way to read a poem and see the response to it at the same time. Uh, well, what I liked what you guys said about it in your essay kind of accompanying each poem, uh, mini essay, uh, is um, that it puts the difficulty of making connection, right? And that, that you're using Twitter and you're trying to do this connection in poem. And then I saw the, again, I guess it's ironic that one of the lines of the poems is, poem is, what I mean is, I make stuff and when people heart the stuff, little heart symbol, I make, I pretend it means they heart me. It's V important, very important that people heart the stuff I make. And then at the end of it, we get the people loving his stuff and then him responding to it, right? Like, God, thank you. Oh, thank you, Cleo. Heart, 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 heart. And it's like he's demonstrating exactly. Yeah, donut, donut. He's exact. He's he's responding the way that he just said the same thing in the line, which is pretty cool as well. Yeah, I think the poem really flips back and forth between this sort of love of the medium, the love of Twitter, and that experience of having instant validation, people liking and retweeting and stuff like that, but also just desperately wanting this deeper connection that you can't access on that sort of format. And this poem, I think more than any of the other ones I've read maybe ever (laughs) engages with the medium in such a fascinating way I think and it comments on that medium and it pulls us in to that medium and it has not only an interesting intellectual comment about it but a deeply emotional one too I really loved this piece yeah for sure go check it out like you have to see it 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 would be hard to read out loud but it's really worth going Uh and looking and looking at the tweets Yeah. yeah one last thing about that thing that you know there's been a lot of uh, talk about poetry and Twitter would work well together. We'll get all these great haikus and micro poetry. There's even a hashtag micro poetry. I have not seen a lot of great micro poetry, and I've gone through and a the lot Insta of poets on Instagram. And, as right, well. that's another thing, um, too, which is a big a big trend, especially this year. It's mostly really bad. Uh, also really <laughs> bad. But this is, I think, what uh, Jeremy did that was so fascinating is he found a new way to use Twitter that works more than the micro poetry, which yeah. is to use each tweet as a, a line and the changes between each tweet as a line break um, and that works incredibly well yeah he's using the medium it's part of the as part of the art right so the poem we're going to listen to quickly introduce it for us uh this the next one we're going to listen to is our exception we had a lot of debate around this one because technically it was published in the winter of 2014 (laughs) Uh, in print form but it never reached the internet until march of 2015 Uh so it was right right on the line there and we said uh this one is just too good for us to let go um we wish we would have made it in last year if we'd had it yeah if we'd had it it would have been in last year um and it's about uh the title is, what's the title, Julie? Lana Del Rey intervenes when she notices I've stopped writing about my ex. Right. And maybe just to understand the poem a bit, you should know that Lana Del Rey is this uh, pop figure, if you don't know, has a bunch of songs out. 
And Lana Del Rey uh, spends a lot of time, not only in her lyrics, but in her interviews, kind of romanticizing self-destruction and giving over agency to a partner. And so she's not necessarily the most reliable narrator for a persona poem written by another poet. So I think the poet might be asking you to question what Lana Del Rey is telling you here. And again, the structure works for it too, because on the page, if you go and look at it in um, from your links, it's got that two lines, two lines, two lines, where it's almost like each one is an argument, right? Intervenes when she noticed. Start that again. Lana Del Rey intervenes when she notices I've stopped writing about my ex. It's good that he's gone. But don't let him be too gone. He's got to be candle blown out in the other room gone. Or exhaust pipe huffing down the block gone. Not closure gone. Not someone else's baby gone. Not cut your hair gone. He can't ever be too far away to hurt you, honey. You can pedal away. But make sure it's a Polaroid of him clicking in your bicycle wheel down the boulevard. Put a suitcase in a trunk and every state in between you if you want. But when you turn on the radio, search for his song. Don't get me wrong. You can love. You can bend over a pinball machine for a biker or a balcony for a photographer. You can bend over a bridge for a poet, but when you're in a strange city at a lonely hotel bar and they ask what you're drinking, say his name. So that was uh, Lana Del Rey intervenes when she notices I've stopped writing about my ex by Megan Fally. And for interest of time, we're going to read one more. Yeah, we're gonna, you've uh, chosen one. Chris read one earlier, and you've got one that you want to read from your list. And uh, just let us know who it is and what's going on. So this uh, is the one poem in translation that we chose for the list. Um, the poet is uh, Carlos Pintado. The poem is called The Moon. And uh, the translator is Hilary Von Dobel. And the poem was originally uh, written in Spanish, but Carlos Pintado's book is actually in both languages, if you want to get it. The Moon. In a dream, I touched the faces of the moon, the fire-bringing moon of Istanbul, the moon of Shakespeare, changeable and old as every moon, the moon as blind eastern weavers reach for it in shock, the moon sung by the fates, the moon as it appears in old engravings, the moon of Borges, saved by blindness from silver and dream, the moon pouring ghostly shapes in mirrors, the primitive moon Rome and Carthage shared for a night, the moon that was before the sea, before the sun, before the word moon, the Greek moon they call Artemis, the moon that alchemists pursued but never caught in metals, the tarot moon that is the deepest arcanum, Galileo's moon refuting the crystal smooth moon of Aristotle, the black moon discovered by a girl in an Aztec temple, the moon that traveled with Verne and Cyrano de Bergerac, the moon Kevido clapped within a fine and bloody epitaph, Lorca's moon with its bustle of tuberoses sinking into the forge, the haiku moon unable to compete with the river rocks false gleaming. These moons are dearer and more familiar than that lone moon hanging, solitary and perfect, like some invention of the night. You love that poem. 
I do. I can tell by the way you read it and mm. the way you were gesturing when you were reading it. <laughs> yeah, well, I have a personal um, love for the moon in general. I'm writing a book about some moon goddesses, and I have a lot of poems about the moon as well. And I really appreciated about this poem that it's kind of talking about using the moon as a poetic cliche, like that there are a lot of different ways that, that people have described the moon over and over again. But the last line, I think, uh, points to the fact that there's also the real moon, the one that you experience when you're living in the world in the moment, and that isn't the one that's ever been described before. So I think it also points us to just sort of being in the moment in that way. So I think it's really beautiful and kind of comments on itself in a way, which I find really fascinating. I thought it was great that you included this one. Um, partially because um, we get told all the time not to put moon, to, not to write about the moon anymore. I feel like any time that I want to write about it because it's something that just has come up in what I'm writing, I feel that voice or I hear that voice like saying, oh, I can't do that. It's cliche. So it's, yeah, like what you were saying. Yeah, it's a joy to, to write about <laughs> something that we all share, I guess. Yeah, it is. Uh, and quickly, I'm just curious, uh, is there one poem, I don't know if it was the same poem or one poem that is not on the list that you uh, really, really wanted to put on, but at the end was, ah, no, I'm not going to, we won't do that one. I uh, did have one, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we actually canceled out each other's favorite poems. We vetoed <laughs> each other's favorite poems. Oh, wow. That's true, actually, and we had we had some interesting reasons for that. Um, the, the poem that I would have put on the list is one called A Necessity is by Troy Jollimore. And, uh, Chris, you can explain uh, the reasons you didn't. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I would guess there was a few lines that, that bothered me in that poem that I thought were a little too saccharine. But, we, we, you know, we had – I could also see why the poem was good. And, and then I wanted to put on uh, White Noise Generator by Raul Fernandez. But mm. it just didn't – you know, sometimes we're looking at things and they just also just don't fit on our list for a bunch of different reasons. Those are still both great poems. And there's plenty of poems that aren't on the list that are great poems. I think uh, we had some sort of gut instincts about each other's poems that, yeah, yeah ended up canceling <laughs> canceling them out. Yeah, but yeah, there were a few that uh, that uh, we all each advocated for that didn't quite make it. But yeah. that's why we do it together so that yeah. we uh, so we can have those conversations. Uh, cool. So we are out of time. Do you have one announcement? Let's do one announcement well, each. Let's, let's do the announcement about uh, tonight at uh, There's a Women's Poetry Slam. Nine poets will be competing for the right to go to the Women of the World Poetry Slam in Brooklyn in March to represent Vancouver Poetry Slam. That is tonight at uh, Café du Soleil. Seven o'clock, the doors open. The show is at eight. Uh, is there a fe- There's no feature tonight, No right? feature. And you are hosting, Julie. I'm hosting, yeah. yeah. Right on. With the 2015 Feminist Facts. That's right. I'll have, I have a list of uh, feminist facts to share. Nice. That I promise they're all delightful, not too depressing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. That's probably, that's enough time. We, that's all the time we have. Right? No, we're, we're, we're running out of time. Okay. Uh, so, cool. Uh, thank you to the East Van Poetry Salon, Julie Peters and Chris Gilpin, for sharing the 10 best poems of 2015. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to hearing what uh, the 10 best for 2016 are uh, next year. Start writing. At this time. Start recording. Yeah, see if you can get on that list. Um, That's it. I'm R.C. Weslowski. And I'm Pam Bentley. No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what? So what? what?